from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report. I'm Fenton Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder, joined by the inestimable, I used that last week, oh, don't know, words are beginning to fail me, superlatives have just run dry. The inestimable... It's the beginning of dementia, darling. The beginning of dementia, James St. James, editor of the Wow Report, and the no less inestimable... The demented, <laughs> the demented James St. James. Um, and the, the totally sane and brilliant Tom Campbell. So, so well, here we are. Um, what are we doing? We're counting down. I think for the really for the last time this year, right? Yes, we're counting down the top ten things that made us go, wow. And I must say, this year cannot end fast enough, right? Anyway, okay, let's just get on with it. Enough chit chat. Number ten, Tom. Number 10. Tom Cruise meltdown. Tom Cruise's a COVID meltdown. Uh, you know, have mixed feelings about Tom Cruise. He feels a little Scientology and military and dictatory. Um, he's also a the fountain of youth and, and you know, he's superhuman. But you guys, did you hear the least tape of him berating his crew? Because they were not following COVID protocol, which in, you know, his message, whether it was delivered or not, was very clear, which it puts everybody in danger and it puts industries in danger and families in danger and, you know, everyone's well-being. What did you think? He <laughs> did tend to make it all about him, though. It was, I am very angry. This is my production. I'm not going to let you pull down my production. Tom has always had a bit of authority issues. He's always um, he's always a, a little abusive. He's always, um, a, like you said, dictatorish. Um, and the Scientology thing is, you know, it, it's a wackadoodle, dangerous quackery. And um, I I think that he was in the right to call the people out for doing it, but it could have been done in private. It could have, he could have said, this is wrong. I'd like to speak to you all in private about this and not gone on for 45 minutes or however long his grandstanding was. Oh, but yes. And the internet's very divided about this, right? And they're saying, oh, there's no, you can never, no one deserves to be talked to that way, et cetera, et cetera. But I think a lot of people have been very nicely saying wear a mask for many months and people just ignore it. And I think it has taken someone of Tom Cruise's stature, however flawed it may be, to lose his shit for the, the message to get put out there in a wide way. And I, I just find I find it infuriating on the Internet, all these sort of people whining about how he's not nice and how it's abusive. It's like, for fuck's sake, 300 plus thousand people are dead dead because they didn't wear a mask and so someone now wants you to ask nicely to wear a mask what the actual fuck i do think he, he this has happened to me and i know you guys well enough to know that you keep your cool most of the time but occasionally i think once with fenton i've heard him lose his cool james we've lost our cool to each other and yet i love you deeply um, <laughs> but is there room for people to lose their shit, forgetting about the message. Like, and, and it's not, I guess if it's a pattern, it's abusive behavior and you need to have it looked at. And I'm sure Tom- It is, it is with him. 
And I'm sure Tom Cruise, I hope Tom Cruise is looking at this in, in a larger context. I think but, Nicole Kidman and uh, Katie, Katie Dawson or could say a few things, could Katie add Dawson. a little to the <laughs> But I, I'm just saying, I also think we live in a world, people are flawed. And people, you know, sometimes you get angry. And, and you know, I wouldn't want my angriest moments to have been captured on tape. I'm not, I'm not saying that. It's just another dimension of this, I think, that was worth noting. This is not the first time his his anger has been captured on tape. You know, it's sort of like he's had a number of Christian Bale moments throughout his career. Um, but I do agree with Fenton that had Trump taken a hard line very early on, or if other people in the government, if Mitch McConnell, if they had taken a hard line, that we wouldn't be in the situation we are today. And so it does take somebody like Tom Cruise to step up and and be angry, but I just don't know that there's ever any reason to be that nasty in a workplace situation. Well, don't you get angry and then it starts to fuel itself and then ideas come together and, you're, and you almost know when it's happening. Am I the only one confessing that you one, one can lose one's shit once in a while and still be a good person? I know that I've been on the receiving end at in work situations of that kind of uh, beratement, not not at World of Wonder, but it, you know, um, it, in the clubs, you know, and things like that. And when it's done in front of a crowd, it is probably some of the most humiliating moments of my life. And I still carry around resentment for the people who who did that to me. So I don't think that no, in a work situation, when you were in a crowd of people, that somebody should be bullying somebody else because they have the power to do so because. They are in the, 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 the driver's seat, so to speak. But we should all be wearing a mask and whatever it takes to get us to wear a mask. I mean, I, you know, I'd put a gun to people's head and say, wear a mask. I mean, so. Well, I, now, now we can just pull out the audio from Tom Cruise and play it in front of people's faces. Right. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's move on. That's a very uh, divisive item today, isn't it? I didn't love it. Um, what have we got? Number nine. Number nine. Number nine, I watched Mank over the weekend. David Fincher directed it. Um, Gary Oldman is gunning for his Oscar. He plays uh, Herman Mankiewicz, who is a 1940s Hollywood screenwriter who was probably most famous for... He did um, uh, Wizard of Oz, The Enchanted Cottage. He did a number of things throughout the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Um, Most famous in what this concentrates on is his relationship with Orson Welles when they were co-writing Citizen Kane, the greatest movie of all time. And um, it's done in a dreamy black and white. It's gorgeous to look at. The screenplay is hysterical. It's filled with Bon Mo's and Zingers and this and that. Um, it, I, it's a little obscure. The subject matter, Does do either of you know Herman Mankiewicz? Do you know anything about him? I only from the things I've read around this picture. So it's a new topic for me. Okay. I, I mean, does anybody care about a 1940s screenwriter in 2020? Is the issue that he wrote it but was never credited for it? And he no, was a big no, old chunk. No. It, no, it, um, it took, you know, 10 years to get the project made. It was, um, he was, you know, an alcoholic drug addict, uh, as uh, so many Hollywood screenwriters are. Um, and it was a rocky road with a tumultuous relationship with Orson Welles, with um, the head of Paramount. So there's a lot of backs. And Hollywood loves to make movies about Hollywood making movies. They do it time and time again. So this is sort of um, grist for the mill. It is funny that Herman Mankiewicz was in his 30s during the period. And Gary Oldman is clearly in his 60s. And at one point, there's even a joke about how... Um, 
Well, I mean, you're ready to retire, and he's like, I'm only 42. And everyone's like, like that. So they sort of have fun with it. Um, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it, but it is, it's a hard sell, I think, to 20-somethings to watch a movie about Herman Mankiewicz. Well, we, with Nolan and I started watching it, and about five minutes in, I knew this wasn't this wasn't going to go well. <laughs> and so we turned it off and watched something else instead. But I, I do think, Fenton, you might enjoy it. And I know, Tom, you will enjoy it because it is Hollywood during its golden age. And it's everything that Ho- Ryan Murphy's Hollywood was supposed to be. Right. And my sister, Amy, who's living in New Hampshire, isolated in the woods, and I have made a Netflix. We're going to make a date and watch it together oh, on FaceTime. So I, I think we'll hear there. your reaction. What is the general reaction to the movie so far? Well, it's interesting because people are very divided about it. Half of the critics are over the moon saying that it's, you know, this is this is prime, you know, peak Hollywood. It's fantastic. It's going to win all the Oscars. Um, Atticus and um, uh, David or Trent Reznor did the music and they always win Oscars. Uh, David Fincher, this might be his Oscar moment. The screenplay, like I said, is brilliant and sparkling and fantastic. So I do think there's a lot of Oscars in there. And Gary Oldman clearly is. But then other people are saying that it's long and drawn out and boring. And who gives a fuck about Herman Mankiewicz? To your point, James, it sounds just obscure enough to win an Oscar. Bing, 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 bingo, bingo, bingo. Ah, but that's Mank, which is on Netflix. But at number eight. Number eight. I have an Oscar contender. Yeah. Let them all talk. Steven Soderbergh's new movie. Oh, um, yeah. Meryl and, and Candace and uh, go, 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 go. Oh, they're, my they're, God. they're improvising the whole thing. They, yes, no script. No script. There was a sort of rough draft. They filmed the whole thing on a voyage uh, across the uh, Atlantic on uh, Queen Mary yeah. 2, um, which I thought was just fascinating too, because I've always sort of kind of wanted to go on one of those Atlantic crossings. And this felt I was really like seeing it. And you know, being something of an old lady myself, I, I felt in good company. It was just like, it was the perfect way to do it. And every now and then, while they would just cut away to the industrial kitchens where they're making the food or just have a cutaway of something else. So it had a little a little feel of a documentary. It was very fluidly filmed. Steven Soderbergh directs, he is the cameraman and he edits. I mean, and they, it was pretty much all handheld. They just pushed him around in a wheelchair and let these three old biddies go. And it is just delicious. delicious. Well, that's, that's what I need to know. I mean, when you let them go, are they as intelligent and as funny and as sparkling as, as they are when they are given the right script? I am a latecomer to the uh, Meryl Streep Appreci- Appreciation Society. I didn't like her in French Lieutenant's Woman. I know, I know, I know. I'm going back a long time, though. French Lieutenant's Woman. I just saw that recently. But I, 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 and one of my favorite roles of her is in uh, Devil Wears Prada, playing Miranda Priestley. And she is a little bit, it's a little bit like that. She's a writer in her golden years. She's slightly frosty, slightly crispy. And she has two old college friends and she's being, she refuses to fly. And there's a reason for that that I won't give away, spoiler alert. Um, so instead, the publishers persuade her, beg her to go on the transatlantic crossing to get this literary prize in, in England. And she decides to take along two old college friends. Well, Candice Bergen has never been this fabulous and funny. She's grumpy. Is, is she, she Oscar worthy? Is can is oh yes, no finally question. get her an award? 
no question. And Diane Weist, is it Diane? Yes, Weist? I love Diane. Sure. I, I mean, the, the three of them are just—it's just fantastic. There's lots of twists along the way, so it's actually—it's actually quite—it's actually, actually quite moving. But at the same time, it's being bitterly funny. And and one thing I will tell you is that Candice Bergen is hugely resentful at Meryl Streep because Meryl Streep's big best-selling author success was basically she feels her life ripped off. And that she feels her best friend ruined her life by writing the story of her of her divorce. And hold on, Michelle, hold on, Michelle, because isn't that the plot of Candace Bergen's Rich and Famous, which was based on old friend, the Betty Davis, Miriam Hopkins movie? Well, clearly, you're a scholar of the genre here. Was Jackie Bissett in that as well? Yes, yes, and she plays an author, and the, the two friends are very. One of them is a best-selling author, and the other is sort of obscure, and they she's jealous of it. And that's, um, it sounds like it's sort of a remake. James, that's why you're an essential worker here on the WOW Report. <laughs> we all together. Give him a vaccine right now. <laughs> there is also a great role um, of the agent played by Gemma, Gemma, Gemma Chan, you know, from Crazy Rich Asians. Who, uh-huh. She was Astrid in Crazy Rich Asians. And then the nephew, Tyler, is played by Lucas Hedges, who I'm sure, James, you carry a torch for. I do too. So, I tell you, it's great, and it's um, it's it's on HBO Max. Are we ever going to talk about that HBO Max is now on Roku. If you have Roku and haven't been able to get HBO Max starting this week, so everyone and can watch it. And you don't know what Roku is? Welcome to the Wow Report. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so that's uh, let them all talk on HBO Max. Let's take a quick break, and um, just before we go, I'll tell you, Frock for Life, the new album from the Frock Destroyers. Just debuted at number two on the UK iTunes chart. It's out now. So go get Frog Destroyed. Let's take a break. Have you got a question for us, Blake? I do, of course. Um, Since this is our last show of 2020, and I asked about the best movies of 2020 a couple of weeks ago, what is the best-selling album of 2020? Well, it's obviously the Frog Destroyers. We'll have the answer for you right after the break. And you're listening to Wire Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. And welcome back. I'm Fenton here with James and Tom and Blake. We're counting down the top 10 things that made us go wow. And it's our last show before Christmas. Um, Blake, you have a question for us before the break. Yeah, this is also our last show of 2020. We'll be back on January 8th, 2021. But I asked... What is the best-selling album of 2020? And it's not Frock Destroyers, and that's only because it's only been out for three weeks. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to guess that it has to have a Taylor Swift in front of it. Uh, there you go. Probably, yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Her first secret album of 2020, Folklore, released on July 24th. <laughs> and, of course, you all know she just released her second secret album of 2020. <laughs> You can't keep Taylor Swift down, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. So get Evermore, Taylor Swift, and Frock for Life, Frock Destroyers on all major platforms. Very good. All right. We're going to keep on counting down the top 10 things that made us go, wow, we've reached number seven. Number seven. Tom. This might be controversial, but (laughs) say from the news, this the objective news desk is that Prince Harry, formerly Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, uh, have recently inked 
a uh, huge Netflix deal, like millions of dollars to produce tele, you know, television with them, uh, documentaries and things. And they've also just inked like a podcast deal for, again, billions of dollars, you know, it's lots of money. And recently Megan came out and talked about something serious that she always does sitting on a bench with like a pussy bow on. And <laughs> I start to wonder like, and I talked to some of the people I work with of different ages and different backgrounds. They're like, well, you know, Shonda Rhimes got a huge deal at Netflix. Ryan Murphy, after making millions and billions of dollars by the company and working their way and perfecting their craft. And now these two royals fall from the tree and they come forward almost under And then it's kind of like, and, and, and I know they're real people and I know that she was in a horrible place and she played the victim very well. Oops. But, oops. But, and I think she was victimized. But them, the, the narrative as the two of them, just in a public scope, as being kind of the, 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 the black sheep of the royal family and, and, and trying to find a humanity within the royal family is kind of compelling. Now that they're just people with less talent than, let's say, the Kardashians, um, <laughs> and, and with oodles of money, they live in a huge compound. Everything seems to be given to them just because they are royalty uh, attached and they're cute. Okay, discuss. Yeah, okay. First of all, um, you didn't. You forgot to mention that Michelle Obama and and Barack Obama were also given a billion dollars to do uh, net, their Netflix deal and podcast. And so, what is the difference if you're having former president, former president, lawyer, first lady, eight years, first black people in the White House? Uh, you know, what best selling books? world tours about your book different than royalty we don't know yet if, if harry is coming out with a book that might be the most interesting book about expose of the royal family mm-hmm. megan markle has a hell of a lot to say about the way that she was treated by the brits and by the royal family also by- she was treated on the set of suits the usa show and, and, and the media and everybody. I, for one, am fascinated by the two of them. I, I, I am not going to begrudge them making any money at all after being kicked out of the royal family. I think they deserve all the billions that I can that we can throw at them. They I, were I, not kicked out of the royal oh, family. The they sit on her as she walked, as she kicked her and put her boot up her butt and kicked her out the door. They were treated horribly and i for one want to hear all the juice james you ignorant slut i'm kidding that's an old saturday night live callback benson what do you think well they're not gonna they're not gonna spill the beans are they it's going to be some sort of children's animated cartoon that's going to be some sentimental and nauseating i mean and it's all very well just going around signing deals but like when are we actually going to do something it does feel a bit like, come on, let's see, let's see a show that you've made. She's the, every every West Side LA wife who had a jewelry collection five years ago, who are making jewelry. It feels like a, a sort of a dilettante. I mean, what did you know, James? You with your wide spanning knowledge? How about uh, uh, um, the the king that got kicked out? The Windsors, Wallace, the uh, Wallace Simpson and King Edward. You know, um. Uh, Edward the Seventh or whatever, King, they were fascinating as they became mm-hmm. 
dilettantes as they became celebutant club kids motoring around the world going from party to party to party and just wearing fabulous outfits and i have read a thousand books about them and i will read a thousand books about i I respect that kind of frivolity and high standard living because that sort of tells you who they are versus this very earnest we're going to save the world why we live in our castle uh, I just don't know why that why there's so much hate towards them for a for a, for getting out of the royal family, which most people would think, well, good for you. It's a, that's a good move. Go live your life. Go get out of the the fishbowl. Go you know raise your children somewhere other than you know in Princess Diana's footsteps, where you every day, every minute of your life is being chased down by paparazzi. Go and get a compound somewhere and get out of it. Why are people? pissed at them for doing that when they're doing what was best for the family. I'm just having a reaction. More will be unfolded. They, I think their, their track record is yet to be proven. And it's just they, by their lineage and by their associations, that lineage, they're getting a lot of money. So that's the free market. That's the way the world moves. But I'm waiting to see if anything really uh, substantial comes up. Well, but it, it, then everyone should wait instead of like Fenton saying, they're just going to do a children's show. So why should we even care before you even see the children's show? I would wait. James, I would wait, but I have this weekly top 10 countdown thing. I got to plug something in to talk about. <laughs> James is going a little Tom Cruise on me right now. <laughs> in front of all people, James, I feel very small. <laughs> but it is interesting, isn't it? I mean, I just wonder inside Netflix and the Harry and Meghan piece, like, were there any conversations about the crown? You know, because the crown doesn't put Harry's dad in the best possible light, I does think it? We've all heard secretly that everybody is, everyone in the royal family is furious with the crown this season because mm. it's gotten too close to home. Well, right. Okay. Uh, let's go on to number six before we get into real fisticuffs. Number six. Um, well, we're going to go a little dark right here because uh, I read an article in uh, Discovery today about uh, the decline of the number of serial killers since the 1970s, which is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. <laughs> um, they say, do you see? Do you see an opening in the market, James? Well, I have some theories that, I, that I'm going to talk to you about in a minute. But they said that in the 1980s there were 770. In the 90s, there were 690. There were 400 in the aughts, and there's less than 100 of them now. And I've had a theory about this, that uh, serial killing was a fad. It was a gruesome fad, but it started around the time of Psycho. And then in the 1970s with Halloween, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Black Christmas, that it became this sort of like, fabulous thing for for crazy people to do and they all became serial killers and then around 899 98 when columbine happened uh mass murderers became all the rage and anyone who was a serial killer probably uh vented it into mass murders anyway uh discovery acknowledges this theory but says that the data doesn't prove it they say that there are other reasons why this happened and the, those reasons are um, there's a dec- been a decline in hitchhiking since the 1970s, and that's a decline in easy access victims for them. Um, that the rise in DNA forensics means that they know that they're going to get caught, and you can't just leave your semen at a crime scene like you used to be able to do in the olden days. Um, uh, that 
there is um, better better mental health care now, and that has taken care of it. And this is the one that I don't quite understand, but I'm going to go along with it just for the sake of going along with it, is that the rise of the internet is a depository now for all the dark feelings that you might have, and you can live out all your dark, toxic fantasies online as opposed to actually having to go out and live and do those things. Oh, I thought you were going to say the rise of the internet means everybody's much more connected, so it's harder to be a stealth operator in the, in the internet. Not just your DNA that you casually leave at crime scenes, but the idea that you can't move undercover as well as you could. Well, and I would also say that, that the rise of like, you know, secu security cameras and, and you know, camera nanny cams and everything everywhere is probably something that you said that you can't get away with things like you, you did. What a dark, dark, and fascinating topic, James. Thank you. Like I said, it's something that I, I think about all the time. I, you know, I, I, I worry about the serial killers. <laughs> I've always, I've always, you know, I, I remember, I, I know I've told you my theory about how if you're afraid of a serial killer in your closet, the chances of two serial killers working independently of each other in your closet are a billion to one. So why don't you take a knife and go hide in your closet? Because the chances of someone else hiding in the in your closet with a knife is uh, a billion to one. So if you want, to, if you're scared of someone under your bed with a knife, go under your bed with a knife, and nobody else is going to do be be there. Thank you, James. James, James news you can use right here from the Wow Report. I, I, I guess if you're not here next week, it's because you've gone off and become a serial killer. He's under his bed with a pairing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that wow. Um, there's no possible segue from that to number five. The Bee Gees. <laughs> How can you mend a broken heart? Oh. Did you see this documentary? I did. And I loved every minute. I'm going to have to sew my lips closed and not talk over you, please. Not at all, because something you posted really made me want to watch it. Because to be honest, I found the Bee Gees at their peak slightly annoying. I didn't love the falsetto singing. I thought the looks were a little unfortunate. <laughs> you know, the hairdos and the... And I, I, I just didn't... It wasn't quite my thing. But when you posted that about um, Kaminsky Park... Um, and how it was one of the one of the people who is a, help me out here. One of the people who was an usher at the park that day. Yes, on the, and, and, very they, famous, and they took all the disco records. Remember James? And they put them together, and they and it was a stunt from a radio. Oh, disco sucks. Disco sucks. And the 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 guy who worked there, who happens to be black, was there and was reporting on this documentary. What did he say? He said it was a racist, homophobic book burning. And it was possible to see, I think, in the in the sort of hoodlum hatred, the the sort of progenitors of Trump's Proud Boys and people like you know what 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 our Hillary would call the uh, basket of deplorables. Right. I mean, and it, it, the way so it the, was the Bee Gees was the confluence of he goes most of the because they would name the album and then burn it, and he goes most of the albums were black artists, and then the Bee Gees had. There was a time in the late 80s, and it was still amazing music, I think, when they were everywhere. And they showed it, you know, because they produced their hits. They produced Samantha's song. Like, almost every song you heard, every other song in the way but, that they played was a Bee Gees producer, Bee Gees song. There's so much I didn't know about the Bee Gees, because I just misplaced them as the Saturday Night Fever people. I didn't get that they... 
Barbara Streisand, Woman in Love. Yeah. Uh, Dolly cool. Parton, Kenny Rogers, Islands in the Stream. Yeah. Well, that was after they realized they could, after having a career in the 60s and the 70s, and, and then disco, they had huge careers in Australia and England, America. Then they could no longer get arrested. The biggest selling group of all time, so talented with this incredible family backstory, which is also explored. And Barry basically said, okay, and all of them, they worked Diana Ross, Chain Reaction, Barbara Streisand's Guilty Album, on and on. It's incredible. And I told this story completely wrong because, as Tom says, they had multiple successful careers before disco. That they, they would mend a broken heart. Right. Yeah, uh, Manchester. So many great, so many many great details. Like, for example, they were they bought. They grew up in Australia, right? They were touring in Australia, like from the age of five. They moved to England to be part of the Beatles' British invasion, and they sounded kind of like the Beatles. And they had a record. Know what it's like? You don't know what it's like to love somebody. <laughs> and then Eric Clapton told them to get the hell out of England go to the studio that he had recorded one of his albums in, in Miami. And they were there in Miami and they were driving every day to the studio across this bridge. And the clickety clack, clack, clack that the car made on the bridge <laughs> gave them the riff for Jive Talking, for the groove for Jive Talking. Which reinvented, because they were sort of this British Scott sounding band. And then with Jive Talking, they brought in more kind of R&B influences and that, and they were working all the Saturday Night Live stuff. They were working on in a, chant a chateau in France because it was big to go record your album. And it was already recorded, already kind of existed. And then Robert Stigwood, who plays a big part in their career, was through all of it. And Robert Stigwood, organization producer of Greece and all that. He said, "Do you have some? Do you have a track or two for this new disco movie we're doing?" And and Robert Stigwood, great mad Australian figure, RSO Records, as Tom says, the Bee Gees just like did some demos. Every single demo is a huge hit, and it completely made that film. That film was basically in the can and done by the time the Bee Gees came on board. I did rewatch it about two weeks ago, and it's um, it the movie itself doesn't hold up, but that music is absolutely fantastic. I do want to point out that Twitter is very upset. There's a whole side group of Twitter, and I'm one of them who are very angry that Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band is not mentioned once in the documentary. And that was my first album that I ever bought. And I'm one of the few people who can say that they honestly love that, uh, that movie and that album, which is considered to be an atrocity by so many people. And you get the feeling that because um, uh, it was made by... Um, very Barry, that Barry had his hand in the documentary that he want he didn't want it to be included. He showed warts and all that. I think they were very open about it. I didn't even know that Bee Gees. I wondered what a stupid name Bee Gees. I never thought it was the Brothers Gib. Bee Gees <laughs> Brothers Gib. I mean, you know, really, 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 really great. I remember though. I remember having very much a crush on Barry Gibb during the seventies. I mean, he was. You talk about that sort of the the silly hair and the silly outfits and everything. But he had that chest hair and he with the beard. He was a bear before there. He was hot for a hot second. I agree, and I was want to say that with all the spoilers that we have spilled today, Fenton and I, that there's still a million more feels and details and songs and how they were created as part of this uh, yeah, documentary. Absolutely. Okay, so you can watch uh, the Bee Gees' How Can You Mend a Broken Heart on HBO Max.
it's so nice to be talking about things that are on things other than Netflix. <laughs> so we've got two things so far today. Okay, mm -hmm. we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll carry on counting down the top 10 things that made us go, wow. Blake, have you got a question? I do. <clears throat> on December 1st, which is this Monday, the day of the winter solstice, these two planets will be so close together, they'll almost seem to touch. Which planets are they? All right, we'll be right back after the break with the answer. You're listening to the Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. And welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom and James. It's our last show of the year. Blake, you've got a celestial question for us. <laughs> I do. Um, on this Monday, the day of the winter solstice, these two planets will be so close together that they'll almost seem to touch. Which planets? One of them's Jupiter. Yes. And I want to say Mars or Venus. Which one is it, guys? What's the other one? Jupiter and Mars. Saturn. They're the two biggest planets. Uh, I really just wanted to say Uranus because I love Saturn. Uh, uh, the one <laughs> on the doll where the planet touched. And they're going to create that sort of North Star myth, the myth of like the North Star and... and at Christmas time, there's gonna be a bright light in the in the east. So there you go. Yeah, the last time, well, the last time it happened in 1623, it was too close to the sun, so you couldn't see it. So the last time that the pair were observed to be this close was in 1226, which was the I end. I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> the end of Genghis Khan's reign. That, that's fascinating. So, so that is what the North Star is for Jesus, right? No, they're just kind of mixing oh. it up. You know, it's good, it's good publicity. <laughs> okay, I'm so gullible here. I believe anything. All right, let's go on with the countdown. Number four. Number four. This is a, just a few shows that make you go wow, which means they're shows that we have produced here at World of Wonder. And I think it's important as it's the end of the year, people are very busy. If they have a moment to take out a piece of paper and a pen, it's time <laughs> to pay attention. RuPaul's Drag Race season 13 has been announced for the USA. It is premiering January 1st on VH1. And a little birdie has told me, this hasn't been announced, I don't think, so I'm spilling the beans. It's going to be simulcast on many, many, many other Viacomis networks. So there's no excuse to meet, miss this first thing. It's a new cast. It was shot during, it was one of the first productions in Hollywood shot during COVID times. And I'm so happy and proud to announce that A, it's an amazing show. The Queens are amazing. And we got through it with such, with, I, don't, I don't think we had anybody test positive on set that put anybody in danger. We had incredible protocol. We followed it. And everyone was so proud of, of taking care of themselves. And they're, you know, it's like the Tom Cruise thing. It's like everyone pitched in and took care of their family and, and by means the industry and all that. That's right. And you didn't have to berate anyone on set, did you, Tom? You didn't, didn't, you didn't have to tell those motherfuckers. You didn't. I didn't know anybody in a long time. And then second, this is where it might get confusing, but not if you're writing this down. Also released just this week, RuPaul's Drag Race UK is premiering on the BBC3 on January 15th. So for the first time ever, 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 RuPaul's Drag Race USA will be airing at the same time, will overlap with RuPaul's Drag Race UK. So they will align much like Jupiter and Saturn, or in this case, Uranus and Myanus. And I'm talking to you, James. Um, so, uh, so that's amazing. And I'll just give the spoiler too, that we shot half of the episodes with Rua's host 
right up until the world shut down, COVID shut us down in March. We all got home safely, thank God. We've all survived this. We shot the USA. And then Rue and Fenton went back to the UK and finished this, this season. So, so much extra love and compassion and effort has been put into these seasons. And it's also, it was an amazing communal time. I know it sounds corny, but for the cast, you'll, which you'll see on camera, and the crew and everyone, just to be around people and be at work and have each other, it made, I don't know, it made all the connections and the feels go a lot deeper. And then the last thing I will say, and it's also COVID related, interestingly, is I think my first Zoom call meeting after we got back from the UK was with Broadway star Tony Award winning Laura Bernante, who had created this hashtag Sunshine Songs, recognizing that everybody's senior school play or high school school play was canceled. And she felt bad for all those kids. This is their, you know, so many of the theater geeks, this is their moment to shine. And theater geeks, I say with love because I'm one. Um, and so she said, hashtag sunshine songs. She goes, it doesn't matter much to you, but it'll matter a lot to me. Sing your song, ha- you know, hashtag it, and I'll watch it. Well, it turned into this movement of tens of thousands of videotapes. And HBO Max uh, uh, bought and we produced World of Wonder with Laura, you know, really executing her vision, um, have this incredible show called Homeschool Musical Class of 2020, where we find we found out of thousands of people, seven dynamic, talented, fantastic diverse seniors who get to sing and perform and tell their stories in the special. That's Homeschool Musical Class of 2020, which will be streaming forever, but it started okay, last night. It's on. Go watch it. That's good. That's a lot. A lot of plugging. I'm sorry, but I think it's, these are all really good, feel-good, fun things for the holiday and New Year. And they all involve songs, and they all involve COVID. <laughs> exactly. Surviving, them all. surviving COVID and having a plan to get beyond it. James, number three. Number three. Uh, this is one that, that really, really, really hurt. Um, rest in power and ranking Broadway legend, movie star. Um, she's somebody who uh, maybe not everybody knows, but she was um, a Bob Fosse's uh, mistress for a period and Bob Fosse's protege. And she's sort of the keeper of the Fosse flame going on. Um, she caused a sensation in the 1970s when she replaced Gwen Verdon in um, uh, Chicago. Chicago. Gwen Verdon was Bob Fosse's wife. She was the mistress. She replaced the wife, which was one of those things that was a scandal. But she met, she wowed everybody. She had, can sing and dance. She's got legs like nobody else on the planet. Um, she didn't make many movies, but the two that she did make uh, are forever part of my childhood, part of my life. She was in Annie. And in a movie that stars Bernadette Peters, Tim Curry, um, uh, Carol Burnett, Jeffrey Holder, Albert Finney, she rises above all of them. She steals every scene that she's in. There is one number we got Annie that has gone bananas, tri- triple viral, where she's in a yellow dress and she works that dress like no drag race drag queen has ever worked a dress before. The New York Times said of that dance and of that dress that it's like she's showing us the sound of laughter. And it's, I mean, that's a hell of a thing for the New York Times to say about you. Um, she, uh, is also in All That Jazz, 
which is a criminally underrated musical from 1979. It is Bob Fosse directing a story about a Bob Fosse-esque man who is at the end of his life as Bob Fosse was, and he's trying to cement his, his legend. And she plays the mistress, who is also the protege, which is what she was in real life. And there are some musical numbers in that that are the best that have ever been on camera ever. And I say, screw you singing in the rain, that, that all that jazz is probably the best musical ever filmed ever, ever, ever. And if you haven't had a chance to watch it, the last 20 minutes with, with the, with, when he's on death's doorstep and they're all singing and dancing and being Bob Fosse and the audience is applauding and death is coming towards him to give him the kiss of death. And it is one of the most rousing moments in cinema history. And she is absolutely spectacular. She also has a number um, you're gonna, you're gonna something below with with the daughter, and it's just it it will move you to tears. We have it all on the Wow Report. We have all of those moments, and if you, God bless Anne Ranking, she was a powerhouse, and she didn't. Seventy one years old, she went to bed and didn't wake up. Oh, that's marvelous! That's a great way to go. Yeah, and so watch out when you're seventy one. Don't go to bed. <laughs> she had slept with a knife under her bed. She might be here today. Call back for people who are just tuning in. Thank you. Number two. Number two. Theory of relativity. Now I'm not gonna, not the Einstein theory of relativity. This is an article that was published in the New Yorker in April of 2018, and it's so bizarre because I've never read the New Yorker, really, hardly ever read it. But I read this article, and I thought it was absolutely fascinating feature about in Japan. If supposing you're gay and you don't, you're not out, you're in a closet, but, and you 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 need your parents to know you have a girlfriend, you rent a relative. Or if you're divorced and you don't want to lose face in front of your neighbors, you rent a wife. It's it's a rent a relative business, and the rent a relative business is called family romance. And so you basically hire people to be members of your family. And this article, I, I, it just seemed to sort of capture everybody's attention. It one. Um, from the American Society of Magazine Editors. It won, a, won a, a, a national magazine award. And in it, the founder, uh, Yuchi Ishii, is the founder of this business. And one of the key stories was a lonely businessman. His wife had died and he was estranged from his daughter. So he went to Family Romance and hired a wife and a, and a, and a daughter. Just was a slight problem. It's just been discovered. He was married all along, this lonely business widowed man. And then the other really good story in this article is a, a young single mom who's divorced and she's raising her daughter and her daughter's getting bullied at school. And she's like, I really need him to have a father figure. So she, I really need her to have a father figure. So she goes to family romance and hires a, a, a surrogate father. Well, when the guy was writing this article, the surrogate father was supposed to show up for an interview, and indeed he did. It's just that it turned out to be the founder of the company was the surrogate father, which was a little weird. <laughs> and then, long story short, gets even weirder. It turns out that the single mom is in fact married, and she's actually married to the founder of the company so 
So the New York has just published a long sort of editor's note apologizing for this, saying that the, and, and people are up in arms, you know, saying look, they, the New Yorker should cancel the article, they should take the article down. But they're saying, no, the article should stand because it's still an interesting thing about relationships and family in Japan, which it, which it kind of is, actually. And it sounds like the most twisted Jennifer Aniston movie you've ever seen. Because wasn't in the late 90s, early 2000s, she was always like pretending someone was her boyfriend. So they like get reproached at work. Wasn't that a plot of every Jennifer Aniston movie? And, and Paul Rudd, Jennifer Aniston, yes. But it could twist and turn this way. Makes it very now, I think. Very now. You're right. It could be a great movie, actually. Yeah. Or yeah. My Best Friend's Wedding with Cameron Diaz and, and yeah. Rupert Everett. Yes. Yeah. All right. Okay. On the, you, we, we'll post a link to the article. It's on The New Yorker. So they left the original article up with this long preamble. It's worth reading. Um, okay. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll reveal the number one thing this week that made us go wow. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Well, hello. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom and James, and we have reached the number one thing this week that made us go wow. 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 Number one. The Prom. I saw it on Broadway and I loved it. It's a sweet play about old Broadway stars who sort of invade uninvited this Indiana high school to right the wrong that the lesbian, the prom was canceled because the lesbian couldn't bring her girlfriend. You may remember it made some national headlines at the end of the Macy's parade, like in 2018, they, they, they did the number and they, the two girls kissed. And um, the movie stars Mer musical theater genius Meryl Streep, uh, Nicole Kidman, and James Corden, who, uh, and Andrew, Andrew Reynolds, from, who is from Broadway, um, and James Corden's been getting a little flack because he's a straight guy, question mark, playing a gay guy too effeminately. Let's discuss. First of all, hold on one second. You gotta say, you gotta include in that preamble what a nasty son of a bitch uh, James Corden is rumored to be because there have been more stories and I know personally people that he is famously rude to waiters. He is famously rude to the people on set to end to his underlings that it has been rumored. And I I'm just putting it out there that he has a, you talk about Tom Cruise in an anger problem, Christian Bale in an anger problem that James Corden, there are several instances that are recorded on YouTube of him exploding at his staff and berating them and calling them idiots and doing this and that. So one of the reasons why many people are irritated that he plays this character is that he is he, he's he's a and supposedly a nasty sob who is playing this giddily gay caricature of homosexuality, and therein lies the rub. For those of you listening and not watching, I pretended to have my screen freeze, so I will not be indicted in James. I, you know, I do not necessarily have the same knowledge. Uh, or experience. I've, I've had the opportunity to meet him a couple of times. I found him to be a tremendously lovely person. Well, and, and, wait, and that's the problem that I talked to Fenton about, because I know that there are people at World of Wonder who have relationships with him. And I was going to say that I wasn't going to say anything. But my sister worked on a food truck, and he you, she still tells story about how nasty he was to her. And, you know, and she was, you know, it, and I just, there are so many people that I trust 
who tell me these stories. And it's I funny, don't care it? whether he's gay or straight or LGBTQIAA, whatever. That that's none of my business. But the fact is, is that he's he's he's. I, I I just have a problem with him. I also have a problem with you know famously Ryan Murphy. I I find him that he has made himself king of gay culture is is annoying to me. Um, and I'm sorry I'm being a little nasty here, and I'll let someone else talk. Um, I I I heard a, a great story, James Corden story that I will tell, not because it's so vicious or mean, but just because it's I think it's just a great story. Um, so James Corden is sitting in, in a, on a plane in business class. And just before takeoff, a young mother with a little baby is brought into business class and sat in the empty seat next to James Corden. And everyone apparently is expecting James Corden to go completely ballistic because, you know, who wants a crying baby next to them? Um, but apparently he didn't. He just turned around, put on his headphones and went to sleep. And then at the end of the flight, as, as they were all getting up, all the passengers were getting up. She said to him, as she was trying to get the bag, holding the baby and trying to get her bags from it, she said, at least you could fucking hold the baby. And everyone was like, oh my God, it was his wife and child. (laughs) I much prefer the Broadway version, which is very hoity-toity and annoying. But, um, and like, to me, like even the casting of Meryl Streep, as wonderful as Meryl Streep is, they should have gotten Patti LuPone. They should have gotten somebody who could belt the the roles. And no one cares about this Broadway stuff. But the the show, The Prom, was like in a workshop for like ten years. And the, the people who I didn't know their names because they 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 are very seasoned Broadway performers, but they were all kind of washed up but really talented performers. They kind of their their roles were kind of built around their abilities. And the guy who plays you know that part in the in the and I'm forget I don't know I can't remember his name. But he was incredibly effeminate, but it felt maybe a little force coming from James Corden. I just don't think James Corden's our enemy. So I feel like having big LGBTQ fights against James Corden feels like energy misspent. But it's entertainment, and we're allowed to have our reactions to it. And to and and that's I think I do think it's in, what's interesting is is the amount of venom, though. I mean, I think it's really been a lot of people dislike him, and a lot of people I that I. Uh, everything I've read has been about LGBT and about gay representation as straight people. I have not read, so this is a breaking story. Thank you, James. I've not read that he's, that in, in, con- in this context, that, it, that it's because he's not a likable person. I'm well, maybe, maybe I suggest you go onto Twitter and type in James Corden into search and see what pops up because I'm sure you will be bamboozled by the amount of vitriol that is, that is headed. I was, I was really amazed. I was really amazed. I was like, because I, 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 my question was like, gosh, why does everyone just hate him so much? He looks so nice. Such a nice young. And you know what's also interesting? He's really hated in the UK. Like very passionately, even very more passionately than in the states. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Well. That there are, if you go to YouTube and you type in James Corden UK, you are going to get bang, 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 bang instances of him berating. Well, if he collaborates with Prince, formerly Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, you'll embrace him once again. <laughs> but did you like the prom? Did you like it? <clears throat> I've heard so many good things about the, the Broadway show, and I was sort of nonplussed by this, except for Andrew Rinal's number. I thought the number in the in the that was pretty amazing, and he's actually, a Broadway performer. I mean, he is. I love Andrew Rinal's. I I actually thought that Meryl was okay, and I didn't hate um uh, uh Nicole. Nicole. she was fine, but it just and the the casting. I I don't know. Uh, 
I mean, who was going to – here's here's my positive spin is that I think by Ryan Murphy taking the semi-successful musical that was probably going to obscure, you know, be faded obscurity, he has now made it something that everyone's seen and high schools will produce forever and ever, and it has, you know, LGBTQIA themes, and I think that's super. There's my I go on a bit too. It it is two and a half hours long or something like that, which is maybe an hour too long. Sure. I yeah. I, to be honest, I know it's got it, its heart's in the right place, but I found that the LGBTQI. Uh, I just found it all very paint by numbers and completely unengaging. I just didn't like it. That's been a criticism of Glee, so it's not unusual that the creator of Glee brought that to uh, to this. But no, God bless Ryan Murphy's number one this week on our countdown. We talk about him all the time. I think he's doing just fine. Yeah, exactly. We used to talk about Madonna, and we haven't talked about her for months. Uh-oh, the worst thing that could happen to Madonna. We stopped talking about her. Well, I think we've run out of time. I feel like I'm in the spirit. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate the time. I love you all deeply. What a privilege it is to do this with you guys all year long. Now, is that sarcasm? <laughs> Are you being sarcastic? Is that being spirited? <laughs> no, I'm not being sarcastic. <laughs> I love our get-togethers, like our remote uh, chitty chats over the, this this year, especially. It's been like medicine. It's like a book club, but I never read the book. You know, it's like that kind of part. <laughs> Maybe sometimes we can cross the ocean on the Queen Mary. <laughs> yeah, just an outline. Let's do it. Let's re. <laughs> I love that idea. So let's remake the movie. Let's Have you ever been on the Queen Mary? Uh-uh. Uh, the one in the dock down in Long Beach. I yeah, know. yeah, yeah. It's pretty spectacular. I mean, it's really cool. Have you been on one of the, the sort of actual ocean-going liners that is still works? You know. I've never been on a cruise, no. Nor have I. I would go on the Queen Mary too, but not the others. Although every other movie I watched on Turner Classic Movies is about people falling in love and, you know, being mistaken for someone they aren't on a cruise. I don't think anyone's going to be going on cruises for quite some time. True, that's true. Well, thanks for listening to The Wire Report this past year and years previously. Um... Wishing you all very merry, happy holidays um, and best wishes for 2021. Can't wait to see you then on the other side. In the meantime, stay home or if you do go out, wear a mask and do something that makes the world go wow. Oh.